this is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. How's everybody? Yeah. Wow. So honored um, to be here and um, humbled. Um, I just caught the tail end of what you guys were doing and just the presence of the Lord is just so good. Uh, So it's really humbling to be here. Um, Wow, there's so many people here. You're going to have to get a bigger building, bro. What's going on? Oh my gosh. We, uh, I, I felt like I was just to share a little bit of my story tonight because um, I feel like it's similar to what God's doing uh, in this room. He's doing something new, and when he does something new, new means, new means you've never experienced it before. <laughs> like we want God to do a new thing, but new means death to the old or death to the now. <laughs> It means, it, it means unknown, it, means, it could mean potentially scary, it could mean sacrifice, but I feel in this room the Lord's doing a new thing. And, and, and I've been a part, of, of, I've been a part of, of the Lord doing something new and stewarding something new is different than stewarding what you've known and where you've been or mimicking or copying what you've seen. And the Lord, the Lord, I, I believe echoes are okay, but this is not to be an echo. This is to be something fresh and new. And, and so I want to I wanna articulate tonight uh, just my journey and story and what I've seen the Lord do through family. Uh, because I've, I feel ultimately what he's doing in this room is, is he's gathering a group of people that are in proximity to the presence. People in proximity to the presence regularly it's what I believe true family is formed in that place. And God, God's chosen means to govern on the earth is through family. Through families like this. I, I, I mean, I have a family and he's going to govern through my natural family, but also through the spiritual family. It's how he chooses to govern. And he's, he's building family in this hour because he's increasing his government in this hour. And so in this room, it's really important to discern and perceive that he's doing a new thing. And, um, and so the way that unfolded for me, and I hope my story encourages you because I, I just sense like people that are hungry and thirsting for the Lord to do that new thing in their heart and to get, to get around or to get, to get between him and what he's doing. I feel that's happening in this room. And many of you are being grafted into a story like the collective individual stories. There's something that, that is converging. And, uh, and I just sense it in my heart. And I've seen the power of a moment like this, a moment in time like this when people gather and they start, um, they just start forsaking things and, and removing things in order to seek him wholeheartedly. And, and I want to I wanna tell you about the power of that tonight because I've had a front row seat and seeing it. And, not, and it's cool. There, there's some, you're here just to drink and you need to come and you need to drink deeply and you need to remain planted where you're at. But there's others. He's actually calling you into the soil. He's calling you into family. And, and he's going to teach you to die with one another. Because ultimately, family, family starts in soil and soil isn't easy, isn't easy to get into. It's not. Soil's like, oh man, 
soil's so hard to, to, like, to plant yourself in a place. It's dark, it's wet. <laughs> Oftentimes manure helps the growth, you know? It's like, um, and so we, we, love, we, we, we love the fruit, but oftentimes we don't see the process that, that someone went through in order to bear that fruit. And, and so you, your seeds, the seeds within you, those seeds that you're carrying, your seeds have needs. And the needs are soil. And in that soil, you learn to die. I had this encounter with the Lord. Uh, it was March, March 26th of 2017. I won't get into it tonight. But, but the point of the, the encounter, I told the Lord, I said, you're going to kill me. I was like travailing. And it was just this really, I'm a Church of Christ kid. Does anyone know what Church of Christ is? Anyone raise your hand? Okay. Not a lot of you. Church of Christ, we didn't even have instruments growing up. So it was a really like conservative, conservative, conservative. So for me to talk about travail prayer, I've come a long way. <laughs> um, but I was, I, I just got whacked by the Lord. And, and, and at the end of the encounter, I told the Lord, I said, you're going to kill me. And the Lord said, good. <laughs> That's what I want to do. And then, and, then, and then I saw him birthing like this generation of millennials. And he, he gave me this one instruction. He said, son, you have to teach them to die. And, and death just isn't easy. Like, <laughs> there's no easy way to die. Uh, but, but that's what soil's for, is planting your life and planting your destiny and planting your gifts and planting your dreams and planting your desires and planting all of those things in the right soil. And I just sense, like, this is a giant soil bed that the Lord is creating right now. It's this wet, deep bed. <laughs> And I know a lot of you, like I know, I know, I know a lot of you are here to drink and I want to, I want to encourage you to do that and encourage you to come encounter the Lord. But I, I want to provoke a remnant. I want to provoke, I want to provoke a few of you that are looking for something new and fresh. And so, um, when, when we went to, uh, when we went to Oakland, we planted the upper room. Um, I, I would name the upper room, the upper room. I don't know who in their right mind plants a church and calls it upper room. Like the inherited historical pressures of having a church called the upper room. Like big things better happen, you know? <laughs> Are you with me? It's like, you're, you're going to be that pastor that names this church like the upper room, Acts 2, upper room. Like, but it got its name because logistically we were on a second floor. We were on a second story. And, and the business owner who invited us to pray called it the upper room. And, uh, and, and it was right in the middle of uh, Oaklawn and Oaklawn in Dallas, if you hear that term, it's the homosexual community of Dallas. And, um, and I just didn't have, if I'm completely honest, I didn't have a heart for the homosexual community. Like, I just didn't. Um, I, 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 I've been around the issue and walked with guys through it, but I wasn't, like, gripped and, like, God, send me to Oaklawn. It just wasn't my jam. I, I, I was, like, I wanted to plant a church. I wanted to pastor, but it wasn't in that community. And if you were going to pick a community, you certainly wouldn't pick Oaklawn because there's not many families down there. Uh, in fact, the first weekend, my wife and I, we ended up moving down there. We started this prayer meeting, and we were trying to figure out what it was. If it was a church, if it was just a prayer meeting, we didn't know. And so we, we were down there, and, and my spiritual mom and dad had moved down there to, to, to kind of oversee the, the house of prayer. And so my wife and I moved down there. We didn't have any kids yet. We had a, a, a townhome, and we were on Cedar Springs, which is, which is like the main drag. And we had just eaten at this really, like, hipster cool brunch place and uh and we're coming out and this guy's walking by us 
like we're right there and he's walking by us he's full cowboy gear like we're texas he's got a cowboy hat on he's got a pearl snap shirt he's got chaps and he walks and he walks right by us and he tips his hat and he says howdy and we turn around and god is my witness he's wearing nothing under the chaps like he's completely he's got nothing and uh and i know and uh and I remember my wife, she grabbed me and she said, we're, we're not in North Dallas anymore, which is like the burbs. She's like, we're, we're in Oak Lawn. Like, this is our community. And the first weekend we were down there, it was the Gay Pride Parade, where tens of thousands of people gathered in our neighborhood. And it was just, it was just like Sodom and Gomorrah. It was crazy. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to be down here. Yo, no. You got the wrong guy. This isn't me. And, and honestly, Oak Lawn, it's, it, I think it was really sexy for the church to come down with plans and strategies to plant a church in an area like that. But, but quite frankly, it was a church planting graveyard. I saw more guys come down with more money, more gifts, more resources. And, and, uh, and the, Lord, the Lord really, he really corrected me in my moaning, which he's so good at doing. But I was, I was like sitting with him. He said, son need to listen to this. He said, you're not coming down here to minister to them. You're coming down here to minister to me. And, and if, you'll, if you'll just set a table for me, watch what I do. And, and so I, I like shifted my perspective in what, in what, what success was, because success was being faithful what he had called me to do. And he didn't call me to minister to them. He called me to minister to him. And so we would be in a room like this with like six of us and we would set a table for the Lord and the presence of Jesus would come. We would give thanks, we would praise him, we would worship him. And we would just feel this sense of fulfillment because we were doing what he told us to do. And from that one place, we watched him add all these things unto us. Um, He told us early on, don't mark it, don't name it, don't get a website. So for five years, we didn't have a website. And, uh, And then people couldn't find it they were driving around Oak Lawn, which is a bad place to be lost. And so we ended up putting up like a one-page Google map. And, um, and most of you, if you know the upper room, you probably know the upper room from our worship. Um, and so we went from not having a website to now, uh, you know, with the, with the streaming capabilities and stuff. It's just crazy if I told you the numbers of how many people are now viewing our culture. And it's a culture of family. It's not, it's a culture that's been marked by people who have truly put this ministry ministering to the Lord before them. And so I just want to share, I want to share some key things that I've learned in, in building family around the presence tonight. Is that cool? So I felt like the Lord said this, and this is, this is to take Michael and Jess off the hook and all the leaders off the hook. It's Psalms 127. You ready, Michael? You need to, you need to remember this. This is a good one. They're like, Michael, is this a church? What are you doing on Sunday nights? What is this? It's just a gathering. You quote this. This one word is so important. It's Psalms 127. It's unless. Everyone say unless. 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 Now, the word unless means except if. <laughs> so, so except if. So this is, this is nothing except if the Lord is building a house. So it says, unless the Lord builds the house. So unless the Lord builds the house. Unless, everyone say unless. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless he builds it. The laborers 
are empty in their labor. Like, unless he's doing it, it's an empty, worthless pursuit. It's, it's worthless. And I, I feel like one of the things that the Lord is saying, what, it's like learning how, learning how, learning how to see what he's giving birth to. Because in a, a lot of us, what happens is we, what we give birth to, we get to raise and sustain. But what he gives birth to, he raises and sustains. And what happens is, is when we start to echo or mimic or we start to do what we see others doing, but he's not doing that in us and in our community, then we begin to birth things that he didn't birth. And so we are taxed to raise it. And the beauty is if he is the one doing it, then he commits his strength, his resources, his energies to build whatever it is that he's doing. And so what I see him doing in this hour is uh, I see him raising up fathers and I see him raising up mothers. And it's not, it's not an age thing. It's a heart thing, position before him. And there's a, there's a scripture that's really marked me. Um, have you all heard the term in and out? Have, I ever, have you ever talked about in and out, Michael? Not burgers, no. Um, <laughs> that's a good burgers, man. Do you all have them in Orlando? Uh, we got them in Texas, man. If you keep praying, they'll come. They, they'll come. <laughs> Let's just have a prayer. So, um, so unless the Lord builds a house, he builds in vain. But I want to I show you how he builds. And I, I want to show you what I believe. I believe unless, he's, unless the Lord builds, he builds in vain. But if he is building, and if he is building something in this room, I want to show you what it, what it could look like. Is that cool? So 1 Kings chapter 3. Can you all roll with me scripture-wise, or do I need to flip? Oh, cool. First Kings chapter three. It's a, it, this scripture just, just marked my heart. Um, it's a story that you're really familiar with. I never carry notes in my Bible and I had this one note that has what I was going to talk about with all the, it's just so the Lord. Okay. First Kings chapter three, uh, verse five. This is the night that Solomon had an encounter. He's been anointed king. And, uh, and he's in Gibeon. He just offered a, a significant offering before the Lord. And an angel of the Lord appears to Gibeon and says, ask whatever it is that you wish. Now, we know what, what Solomon asked for, yes? What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. But do you know why he asked for wisdom? It, it, it's in this. Look at this. It's uh, uh, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to him, ask whatever it is that you wish, verse 6. Um, and Solomon said, you've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart. With you, you've continued this great kindness for him and you've given him a son to sit on his throne. So he's reflecting upon the life of his father, which is big, big shoes to fill. And then in verse 7, he said, now, O Lord, uh, you've made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I'm a little child. This actually means he's a minor. And most, most people think he was, he was at the age of 20. And most kings, when they were anointed, I could show it to you in the book of Numbers, but 30 is like the coming into age. So he knew he was young, but because he was young, there was a problem. And he identifies the problem right here. He says, but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Does everyone see that phrase? To go out or to come in. 
So we know that he would ask for wisdom, but it was wisdom specifically for this activity to come in and to go out. Everyone say come in. Everyone say go out. So Solomon asked for wisdom for this activity. So I started thinking, well, what does it mean to come in and go out? Because that's a really important thing. This is what would ask whatever it is you want, Solomon. Well, there's this one pressing need that I have. I'm a minor and I don't know how to do this activity. So give me wisdom, but give me wisdom to do this specific activity, coming in and going out. So I started looking, well, what, where else is it in the Bible? And I was crazy how, uh, how many times I found this phrase, coming in and going out. <clears throat> Um, The next time I found it was in the life of uh, Moses in Numbers 27, verse 15. Throw that one up. Numbers 27, verse uh, 15. So this is Moses praying to the Lord. So this is a quiet time that Moses is having with the Lord, and he's speaking to the Lord. And look at what he says. He says, let the Lord, uh, the God of all the spirits of flesh, set a man over the congregation. So he's praying for his successor. He's praying for the one that would carry the mantle of leadership and lead them into uh, the promised land. And look at, look at the one requirement. So appoint a man who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like a sheep which have no shepherd. So in his eyes, the, the hallmark quality for this successor is that he would be a shepherd that would lead the sheep in and lead them out. And in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is now giving his farewell speech. And and listen to this, uh, 31 verse, Deuteronomy 31 verse 1. It says, then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. Look at this. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I can no longer what? Go out or come in. So it's the one thing he prayed for his successor. And then this is the reason he retired. The reason he no longer led is because he could no longer do this activity. That's why Solomon prayed for wisdom. It's the one requirement for Moses' successor. It's the reason Moses This is a significant thing, whatever coming in and going out means. So we find it again in Joshua. Joshua chapter 14, verse 11. Joshua 14, 11. Um, This is Caleb approaching Moses. I'm sorry, Caleb's approaching Joshua. Caleb's approaching Joshua, and, and Joshua... Joshua and Caleb have been leading the Israelites into the promised land. They've been fighting for all these promises that the Lord had, had, had spoken. And Caleb had been fighting for everyone else's promises, but there was this one promise still outstanding for him. And he's approaching Joshua, and listen to what he says. He says, man, dude, I, I want to go take this mountain. And, and the reason I want to take this mountain is because Moses told me I would have this mountain. And then he says this, as yet as I am strong this day as I was the day that Moses sent me, Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for, what's that word? War. Both for coming in and going out. So coming in and going out, it's a Hebraic warfare term. And and this is what it means. And this 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 is 
This is what I see the Lord doing uh, in this hour. It, 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 it was a term because the king's primary responsibility was to lead the people into battle. Like that was his primary, primary thing. And every battlefield that the Israelites stepped upon, do you realize that they were underdogs? Like there wasn't a battlefield that they stepped on where they were like the favored ones. They were always the underdogs. And then the way that they would win battles was the most unconventional way that you could win a battle, right? And, and the point was, the point was is that, is that when, when, when Israel stepped on a battlefield, it wasn't about Israel, it was about the God of Israel. And so their main, the main priority for the leader is that he would position the people rightly before the Lord in worship. Coming in is coming in to worship and set the ark before us. Coming out is taking the ark out from the place of worship and witnessing to the world, this is the one that we worship and this is what he does. And what I see the Lord doing is I see the Lord building houses that are learning to come in rightly. They're learning to come in. It's restoring the tabernacle and bringing it back where the ark is at the center of all. This was the distinguishing hallmark quality of any leader that led the nation of Israel. It is like, it is the the mark, the mark of the leaders that he would put the ark before the people. Like David in, in 1 Chronicles 13, 3, he's standing before the people and he says this. He says, listen, what's going to mark my life is that we're going to pursue the ark for we didn't in the days of Saul. There's this thing about setting the ark, setting the presence before us and in our midst. And I believe the Lord is building family through leaders that are forsaking skills, forsaking influence, forsaking like what's popular and working. And they're putting all of that on the altar and they're saying, we don't want that. We want you and we only want your presence on this altar. They will not settle for anything else. We have settled for lesser things. We've settled for good preaching. We've settled for good personalities. We've settled for strategies. We've settled for marketing. We've settled for a lot, but we need a move of God. But it starts with leaders. It starts with leaders. It's a leadership crisis, and we need leaders that are marked, pierced. They're obsessed with the man Jesus. And I believe, I believe what God, what God, God has taken a pin. God has taken a pen. He's the author of faith. And I believe he's just starting to write a few words upon the heart of this community. And what is to come, what is to come is a house that's not known for anything else, but known that they host God. God is present. God is there. It's a rare thing. There's people that even have the right language and they're saying the right things. But, but, but it, the proof is in the pudding. And, and we, we have to start forsaking our agendas and our plans. And we've got to set Jesus, the man, the Holy Spirit at the center of it all. We have to have that. You're, you're burning for it. Your heart's desire is for that. It's, it's at the core of the core of the core. If you're born again, it is the truest thing that when the presence of the Lord is in the room and your heart is open, your heart is present, there is nothing like that. There's nothing like it. 
You, you cannot settle for anything less than him manifesting in your midst. So let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kind of shift just for a second. I'm going to get back to this, okay? I'm going to get back to this. But, but I want to talk about the function because it's like, okay, it's cool. Does that just mean we worship all the time? Yes, it does. I mean, there is a ton of worship. There's a ton of like learning thanksgiving and praise and worship and really like really beholding the Lord and studying his nature together and like like chewing on the revelation the Holy Spirit gives us about the man and how he manifests. And for eight and a half years, we have been students of how the manifest presence comes in our midst and how to respond rightly to the Lord. How to like, what is he like? What is he not like? What is he? What is why did this happen and that not happen? And why did that happen and this didn't happen? Like we are constantly debriefing like scientists. We are like scientists. We are, we are like studying why did the Lord do this and why did he not do that? And what does it look like for us to be this house of prayer, a house that's in relationship with him? Because we just want to please him and move with him. You following me? And so, so one, of the, one of the primary things, though, that I've seen in family that's centered around the presence of the Lord is what true authority is. Because the presence where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. So one of the fruits of a house that's hosting God is freedom. Like freedom is, freedom's the fruit. I don't think, if, if the presence in Jesus is the goal, then freedom will be the fruit. And, and so the, the spirit of the Lord is, it's, it's the authority for us. But I want to show you when the spirit is Lord and there's a freedom, I want to show you how that affects you. Like you finding, I want, actually, I want to show you this. I want to show you how crucial and critical it is for your heart, for your family, for your relationships to be in an environment like that. I want to show you a spiritual principle that's threaded throughout scripture. But if I could say the next closest thing to worship and prayer and hosting God, I would say that this principle is is directly connected to stewarding and building family in this place. And it's found in the book of Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 2. If you're with me, say, come on. Okay. So Genesis chapter 2. This, this thing, man, this thing, this thing got me. This is so good. It's the most random scripture that I'm about to read to you. It's like one of those that you've probably just bleep right by. But I, it, like, it was a life-changing revelation for me. Again, I'm a leader. I, I, feel like, I feel like my primary gifting is to lead, as it says in Revelation 12. And so I'm constantly studying authority, leadership. What does that look like? And, uh, and, and so next to following the Lord and studying him, what, what is it when, when I'm in a place of authority? What does that mean? And, um, and I was reading Genesis chapter 2. And uh, in verse 4, it's a second account. It says, this account is the heavens of the earth when they were created. And the day of the Lord made uh, the heaven and the earth. And then, and then Moses, who wrote this, he just gives this random detail in verse 5. It says, now shr- no shrub of the field was yet in the earth. And no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord had not sent rain upon the earth. And there was no man to toil the ground. Not a... Not a it's random. So I was sitting with this and I felt the Holy Spirit slow me down. And he said, son, you really need to see a principle here. 
And it's a principle about biblical authority. So I was like, okay, please show me. And he said, he said, look at the earth. And it said, it said the earth had a problem. I said, well, what was the problem? I read it again. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown. Now, my translation's a little different. It said no, it just, it just straight up says no plant of the field had sprouted and no herb of the field had come forth or something like that. But it's, there's this real distinct no. And, and what I realized is that the earth's potential to sprout and grow could not be fulfilled. The potential of the earth. It had the ability to to grow plants and to grow herbs, but it could not do that for two reasons. And the two reasons is that God had not sent rain on the earth and that Adam had not been created yet to toil the ground. So, So the potential of the earth to grow things and produce fruit was directly connected to the authority it was subjected to. And this this spiritual, it's a a principle that's still at play today. So the earth's potential, do do you know that we're still unlocking the potential of the earth? Like right now, we're still, so the potential of the earth here is that it could, it could like, like apple trees and orange trees and, and flowers could grow once God sent rain and God established man. But from that place, the potential of the earth is still being, being realized because I believe locked up in the earth at this point was the internet. Like locked up in the earth was, was the wheel. Locked up in the earth was fire. Locked up in the earth were all of these all of these things that we're discovering, like what, what is the potential of this planet? Well, it's directly linked to God providing rain and man toiling the ground. Like I was reading an article that Amazon is, and I think, I don't know if Amazon was actually writing this, but they were thinking about Uber. It was like Uber in the air where you like get a droid to come and pick you up and then fly you across town. Like, that seems crazy, right? But it could happen. <laughs> the, the rate that we're heading, like, what's the potential? Uh, what's the potential? Who knows? And, and he, here's my point for you tonight, is that, is that you and I are dust. We're made of the earth. That's what we are. And God's sending rain is God sending the Holy Spirit. And he has sent the last Adam or the second Adam, which is Jesus. And I believe our potential is directly connected to us subjecting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to the reign of Jesus. Or to those that Jesus is using, pastors and leaders. And their role and job in our life is to unlock the potential of who we are. And when we come into environments where the presence really is priority and there's not weird hidden agendas, your potential comes bursting forth. You get to do immeasurably more than you could do by yourself or in a weird soil that's controlling and not presence-oriented. Are you following me? Like, I, I was talking to some of our, 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 our worship leaders, who some of you guys know, but, um, but they... they in their previous seasons and places they were at, a couple of them tried out for worship teams like for four or five years in places and they didn't make the teams. Like one of them, yeah, one of them's just sweet little Alyssa. Like she's like, she's amazing. She, she wrote, uh, 
she's just written songs that you guys probably know and sing. But she, she was not allowed to sing on the worship team in her previous churches and places. And, and, and something happened, though, when, when this collective came into the upper room. And I believe what happened, it, it wasn't necessarily that they were given a stage. It was the environment that they came into. Their potential was unlocked and released to the earth. And, and I, just, I just feel in my heart like, like, like community around the presence, it unlocks the potential of who we are as people. Like what he's placed within me. What he's placed within me is unlocked as I submit my life into that soil and I get rooted with others. All of a sudden together, our potential is realized. But most of us just haven't seen environments like this. And I'm not saying that we've done is wrong. I just feel like it's what the Lord's doing in this hour. It's communities where the spirit of the Lord is Lord. <laughs> and he's unlocking. I think that's why that identity message is so profound right now. It's, it's what he's doing in this hour. He's unlocking who we are as the bride of Christ. It's just so lovely. Not a cool principle. I think so too. We, we uh, I've seen, I've seen more, um, I've seen more men specifically that are struggling with same-sex attraction um, when they come into an environment where the presence of the Lord, where the presence of the Lord is, where he's enthroned in a culture of worship, I've seen more men get liberated from, from, from just the entanglement of, of deception. And, and I've watched the Lord, I've just, I've just watched the Lord do what, what, what only he could because a culture was established where the spirit of the Lord through worship was the priority. I've just watched them. Like I, can, I can think of a half dozen at least that their lives are just transformed. They're, many of them are married now. And, um, and it, it's just like this reorientation when the presence is the priority. Like he recalibrates, he awakens, he reveals, he unlocks just who it is that he designed us to be. There's just nothing like the presence, man. There's <laughs> nothing like it. Thank you, Lord. Um, I, so I didn't plan on saying any of that tonight. Uh, the one thing I did feel like the Lord uh, tell me to, to go after was, was Psalms 27, which fits into this. Um, and we're, we're going to land here. I'm just going to share this one last revelation that we're going to minister to one another. Is that cool?
talked about coming in and going out. And when we come in, the presence of the Lord is priority and, and what that unlocks within us. Um, and then Psalms, Psalms 27. And this, this is one of my favorite psalms. Is this one of y'all's favorite psalms? It's such a good one. It's such insight to, uh, to really the man who he personally knew how to come in. And this, this text really unveils that. Um, and in verse 4 specifically, um, David, David makes this profound statement. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate um, in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. This is, this is the house of the Lord. I, I, I don't know necessarily if David was speaking of, he had not built a house, he had a tent. But I think the primary thing that David was talking about was, was a secret place that he had cultivated where he beheld the beauty of the Lord and to him it was a refuge for him. It was a, it was a place that he had internally with the Lord that he could go to in his heart when he was surrounded by enemies and foes. And I think, I think this one statement that I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Um, the, 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 the primary pursuit that I think we're invited into when we talk about church and community and we talk about unlocking our potential and we talk about all the things surrounding the one thing but at the center of all things is this one phrase the beauty of the Lord the the, the beauty of the Lord was was the the pursuit and the thing that David was obsessed with and 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 the beauty of the Lord is the, the, the beauty of the Lord is the Lord like the Lord himself He's beautiful. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's like the mo- that's the biggest understatement I think I could ever say. But, but, but since the beginning of time, the Lord has been unveiling his beauty in measure. And, and, and in measure. And in measure. And so everyone in this room, we've seen measures of his beauty. And I believe for eternity, we're going to be exhausting the beauty beauty of the Lord. Like, I don't think there's necessarily an end to the beauty of the Lord because his beauty is unlike anything else. Like the beauty of the Lord is the point of all of this. When we talk about the presence, when we talk about uh, even even the the mandate to go into the world, uh, for me, it's all unto the beauty of the Lord being known and the, the, the beauty of the Lord being placed before us. And, and I don't know. I don't know how you got into the church. I don't know. I don't know what you were told, but 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 if you're born again, you're, the the point of being born again is is for you to behold the beauty of the one who saved you, and the beauty of the one who redeemed you, and the beauty of the one who found you when you weren't beautiful, and then His beauty touched your life, and when His beauty touched your life, you got a taste, just a taste of His beauty, and then He. He, he sometimes hides his beauty so that we seek it. But, but this at the center of it all is the beauty of the man, 
Jesus. He, he's the fairest of ten thousands. He's the lily of the valley. Like he is the Alpha and Omega. He, he, there's so many descriptions to who he is. The Ancient of Days. He's the rock. He's the chief cornerstone. It says he's the capstone. It says he's the foundation. It says he's the lion and the lamb. He's the great high priest. He's Lord, yet he's servant. He's kingly, yet he's priestly, and he's priestly, yet he's kingly. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily in the valley. Like, there is no one like Jesus. He is so very beautiful. The beauty of Jesus, there's nothing like Jesus. Jesus, it's Jesus. Jesus is, I love that. I love that Michael and Jess, they've trademarked Jesus. And I love, I love it. I love that they have put Jesus on everything. It's just so like, it's so good and so right. But, but I, I, it's like not about doctrine. It's not about where you go to church. It's not about what you believe. It like when Jesus takes the center stage once again, like that's the point and that's what this is unto it's leaders that are first followers it's leaders that are the first seekers it's leaders that are first beholders and that qualifies them to be leaders in this hour it's it's truly about that it's truly about leaders that are forsaking leadership and and they're they're actually the first ones to like put this at the center of themselves and go hard after it and before they know it before they know it, that pursuit of his beauty and that pursuit of that one thing, they look behind him and there's other people following them, not because they had this strategy to get a bunch of people following them, but because they followed the main leader. And as they followed the main leader, all of a sudden they were qualified to be the leader. And then they have followers and those followers are like, well, why am I following them? Well, I'm following him because of who he's following. And so it's just this domino effect. But what happens and what circumvents this is when all of a sudden the leader becomes the leader. And we honor the Lord and we, we want to we really honor and do things for him. But he's not the leader. I am. And I've been given principles and skills and ways to influence you and draw you and mesmerize you. But it's not about him. We've forsaken him. We've forsaken him being at the center. It's him. He's got to be at the center. And any born-again person, you're a candidate. You're a candidate. You're a candidate tonight. But it's being provoked. It's being provoked to behold the beauty. To behold the beauty. That phrase, the beauty of the Lord. David's one thing I ask, of all the things I could ask, it's one thing I ask that I may seek, that all of my days, all of my days... Every day will be marked by this pursuit. It's the beauty of the Lord. And then he talks about, after he says, all of my days, then he says, for in the day of trouble. It's two days. All of my days are going to behold the beauty, but in the day of trouble. In the day of trouble, you'll conceal me. In the day of trouble, you'll hide me. In the day of trouble, you'll protect me. But the truth is, this is, what, this is what I think is really hindering us from like going hard after this. Because I'm, I'm, like, I'm like talking about the beauty of the Lord. But the way that you behold the beauty of the Lord, you behold the beauty of the Lord in your heart. It's a heart deal. And if you look at this text, there's three different times David mentions his heart. 
He said, my heart will not fear. Later, it says, it says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, I will seek your face. Then another time, he says, so let your heart take courage for, I would have despaired, but I know I'll taste the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's three different postures of his heart that I won't get into tonight. But what I see, what I see is really hard for us in the room. Like, if your heart, if your heart has not been opened, this is a really hard ask. Like what I'm, I, in fact, it's an impossible ask. B- because, like I use my two-year-old Freeland, and, and I'll, I'll land this, but my two-year-old Freeland, who's going to be here, I hope he comes breaking through those doors. They just landed, I think, and he's so cute. He's got these cute blonde curls. He's just precious. He's just precious. Did I say he's precious? He's precious. And, and, uh, and, but free, free, we call him. He, he, his heart is like this to the world. Like we sit on the porch. We're on the porch. It's been raining in Dallas. And people are running by because there's a school near us. And he's like, hey, you want to come under here? Hey, you want to come play? I mean, he's just yelling at, at anyone that comes by. The other day, Larissa walked in and we had a plumber over. And she heard the conversation. He was like, what's your name? He's in the bathroom. The plumber's like, my name's Joe. And he's like, well, Joe, do you want to be my friend? And Joe's like, Yes. He's like, well, do you like pizza? And Joe's like, yeah, I like pizza. Do you like Legos? I, I like Legos. Well, let's go play Legos right now. Do you want to stay for dinner? Like, he's just making relationship with the plumber. Like, he just knows. He knows no boundaries. He, he's never been hurt. His heart is like this to the world. He's just wide open like, I mean, he never met his dream. It's beautiful. But as his father, I know. I know as his father, one day... One day, life's going to hit that beautiful heart. And his heart is going to go like this. He's going to say, man, it's not safe to live that way. It's not safe to live that way. I, I need to protect my heart. And the way we protect our heart is we shut it off. We close it. We do. And what I think is so crucial for us to understand is the safest place for you to come back to a place to get your heart open is in the presence of the Lord. Like the presence of the Lord, Michael has said this before and I rip it off all the time and I have to give him credit because I'm in his house, but typically I just act like I'm the one that's saying it. Just kidding. I think you said this. I don't know who said this, but I think you said this. Um, That the presence of the Lord it's diagnostic and it's prescriptive. So it's like you, you, know, you know the state of your heart when the presence of the Lord comes in a room. Like you know how your heart's doing based on your response to the presence. And, and, and in, this, in this text, it actually, it actually proves that in Psalms 27. Look at this. It says, it says in verse 3, he says, Though a host encamp against me. Though a host encamp against me. This word for encamp, it means that they were settling in and they were, they were setting up shop. Like they were habitating around him. Like they were creating room and space. This is a very familiar enemy to David. And he says, Though, though they're encamping and mounting up against me, he says, my heart, my heart won't shut off. My heart won't close down. My heart will stay open. 
Though a war rise against me, yet I shall be confident or I shall have courage. And then he goes into the one thing. Because it's the one thing that he knows he can keep his heart exposed before the Lord in the day of trouble. His heart won't, won't close off. And, and I, just, I, just feel, I just feel in my heart there's this invitation tonight. If you keep going... Um, in, in verse, verse 7 and 8, he says, Hear, O Lord Israel, when I cry my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. And then verse, verse 8, where I'll land here. He said, When you said, Seek my face. When you said, Seek my face. Now, has anyone ever had the Lord say, Hey, seek my face? Raise your hand if you've had that invitation. If you're born again, this is the invitation. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 says that he who spoke light into darkness spoke the light of the knowledge of his the face of his son into your heart, that his face is actually in your heart, which is his face is in your heart. So this scripture, when you said, seek my face, what was his response? My heart. My heart said, seek your face. I'll, your face I'll seek. So there's something about uh, us in our hearts saying, in light of what I'm going through, in light of what I'm facing, in light of what I feel, you said to seek your face, and my heart had made a covenant with you that your face I'll seek no matter what's facing me. And I feel tonight the Lord just wanted to, wanted to reposture hearts before him and establish hearts before him once again that, that whatever's encamping against you, whatever, whatever, whatever is forming an argument that, that would have your heart shut down, that tonight I feel like the Lord is going to not only like open your heart up, but he's going to give you confidence and breakthrough and freedom because the Lord is your light. He's your salvation. He's the defense of your life. Like he, he truly is tonight. I feel like he wants to establish that. Is that cool? So can we respond two ways? Uh, we'll respond two ways. It's verse six is how I want to respond. Can you stand up with me? Was this edifying? Was this helpful? I kind of, I kind of scattershot at a couple of things, but um, I feel this house is going to be a house that's marked by the presence of Jesus. It's going to unlock the potential of those that are here. Some of you don't even know what you're capable of, but when you get around others that start to see it, it's like a key that's going to unlock who you are. But I feel tonight he's going to start by just reopening hearts in this room. So verse 6 says this. It says, now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. So we're going to lift our head up above our enemies. We're going to posture our heads in a place. Whatever is facing us, Lord, posturing our head. And then, and then this next verse says, therefore I offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Now, I want us to offer sacrifices of joy tonight. Now, a sacrifice of joy, my translation says it this way. It says, it says, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. So if you're offering a sacrifice of joy, it's actually a shout or something welling up in you. And I, I felt tonight we're going to offer this, this sacrificial offering that is a shout before him. And I feel like he's going to open up hearts. And then we're going to pray for one another. Is that cool? Are you with me? All right, so lift your head and lift your hands. 
And I want to I want to make mention that a sacrifice of joy is costly. If you sacrificially gave tonight in the offering, it was costly. It could have been painful. <laughs> it was risky. But David says that that he was offering a sacrifice of joy, and I believe that some of us you may not want to bring a shout before the Lord, but a shout awakens your heart. From the overflow of your heart, you speak. And I feel like the shout of the Lord, it's going to, it's going to break some things off in hearts. It's going to break some things off. We've done this twice this weekend, and I've watched people get delivered from a shout. And I just feel like some of you, you're going to get, you're going to get delivered tonight with a shout. Is that cool? All right. So here's the thing. It's not going to be a small shout. We're going to shout We're going to shout for 45 seconds. Not just a little shout. We're going to give, it's going to be like long and loud. So I'm going to time it. I'm going to get my my timer out. So we're going to, it's going to be a sacrificial shout. But watch, pay attention to your heart. As you're shouting, pay attention to your heart. And then, and then, and then receive the joy of the Lord. It's going to be awesome. Yay? Yay. All right. So on the count of three, we're going to bring that offering before him. So you're going to conceal us in your tabernacle in the secret place of your tent. You'll hide me. You lift me up on the rock. Lord, my head is lifted above my enemies. And tonight, Lord, I'm going to bring... An offering that's a sacrifice, that's a shout of joy. So are you ready? One, two, three. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.